I mean, I can't even put words to it. It really isn't. So, after all that beautiful worship, we are back in Romans. Um, we've been going all the way through Romans, and we're now at chapter 13. And I, as I was preparing this message, I was, uh, I was like, well, there's a lot of stuff out there in the back, especially some knocker ball. So when I get done with, when I get done with this message, I might, uh, I might have to run and hide the knocker ball. Because uh, today, one thing we don't, well, I'll say one thing we do like to talk about is what's going on in our government. Am I correct? I mean, that's the topic of pretty much everything we talk about. Whether you're on this side or on that side, everybody has an opinion, right? And sometimes our opinions are rebellious. Sometimes our opinions are violent. So I thought it's the perfect chapter at the perfect time. Chapter 13. It, it literally speaks about submitting to your government. I didn't hear no amen on that one. <laughs> Submitting to our government. Now, before I get into it, it is the, it's divided in three sections. And I debated whether I was going to break this down like I love to do and put it in different parts. But as I went through it, I couldn't do that because it all goes together. It talks about the first thing, for, for example, verses 1 through 7 talks about the believer and how we should respond to the governing authorities. If I was to ask everyone in this room how we should respond to the governing authorities, we'd all say, and every one of us would say, well, the scripture says that we should submit to the government. But there's not one of us here who truly believe that. Verses 8 through 10 are going to talk about the believer and how we should submit to his fellow man. And then... Paul's going to end this, this chapter with the believer living in the last days and how we ought to live in light of that fact that we're in the last days. We do know we're living in the last days, right? Amen. Okay, okay, just, Paul believed it. Paul believed it. And, and all the believers through the ages believed it. And, uh, and, that's, why, and that's the way God wanted it. See, we think about it. Paul believed that he was living in the last days, and he was living in the last days. And we are now, I like to say, I think we're living in the last, last days. I mean, it's clearly evident if you, it, it's going to happen at any time. I mean, it's, it's going to happen at any given time. If you've looked at the prophetic markers that are out there, we are definitely, and we're going to talk about that at the end of the chapter, we are definitely in the last days. But when you, when you live like that, when you live like you're the last, when you live that Jesus could return at any time, guess what? You live different. You live different. Look at it this way. If you believed, and I said this before, somebody was going to break into your home, and it was imminent that you knew that on Thursday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they were coming to break into your home. How would you live and prepare your home for that day coming? Think about it. How would you? You know, and some people, I'll say this, some people live in an area where that does occur all the time. And they live differently than we do. We don't live in an area where, you know, I have to be concerned that somebody's going to 
break into my house, it's not a concern I have every day. And I, we live differently. But if you live in an area where that is a high crime area, where it happens to people every single day, the way you secure your home is different. So, Jesus told you, and he told us, he's coming back. So before I get, before we get into this, let's dive right into the word. We're going to read the first section. So we're going to read chapter 13. Here it goes. Let every person, there we go, be subject to the governing authorities. Hmm. I hear no amen on that. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to that very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Those are hard words to hear. Those are hard words to hear. But this is a very real issue and a very real question among the early believers in the church. How do we respond to the government authority? How do we respond? And the reason, I think, is remember, just like us, they had been placed, they placed their loyalty in a king, as we have, right? You ever think about that? You, you ever think that? And that king, we have placed our loyalty in a king that's not of this world. Okay? I want you to hold that thought. And that king that we have placed our submission to, and that king has made some interesting statements about his kingdom. Remember what he told us? Do you guys remember? What did he say our kingdom is? Somebody I didn't study this week. It's really, really busy. Our kingdom is not of what? This world. Our kingdom is not... And they had been taught certain things about that citizenship. <coughs> Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and for it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the early believers were taught. The king that you and I follow is not a king of this world, and yet our loyalty is with him. Okay? Our citizenship, our address, our permanent address is in heaven. So I want you to keep all this in mind as we're going through what we're going to talk about. And we have translated, for example, out of the citizenship of this world and been translated into the citizenship of heaven. Our king is not of this world. I, we're told what? That we're aliens. In this world. What, what does that mean? 
It means you don't belong here. This is, this is not your permanent address. This is not where we're going to be one day. All that to basically say this, that we're not at home. We're not at home. This is not our I know it feels like it sometimes. I do. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know what else? We kind of treat it like it's our home. We do. We, we love to treat this world like it's our home. And I like to remind the loved ones, this is not our home. Not our home. So, with that, it begs this question. How should we address ourselves to the governing authority of this place that we currently have to live in? I mean, technically speaking, our subjection, our submission is to Jesus Christ, correct? To his government, to his kingdom, to his authority, which we know is above all. So how do we do that? How do we respond to the government of this world? If you turn on a television right now, you can see many ways that people respond to the government of this world. And we're going to talk a lot about that. But see, we're told how we are to respond. Paul made it clear here. He made it very clear that we are to submit ourselves to this authority in the world. And all that goes with that submission. Taxes, revenues, pay your bills. Peter addressed this very same thing in one of the epistles that he wrote. He said this. I think I have, you have that up there for me, Mike? First Peter? Yeah. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And I know every one of you are thinking, well, you know, well, what do we, we just get, we just do whatever they say? Is that what we do? We're going to talk about that. See, it's pretty obvious here. It is pretty clear. The teaching of the New Testament is that you and I are to be law-abiding citizens. Right. It's absolutely clear. In whatever government structure we find ourselves in, <laughs> Scripture has made this clear. Right. This is hard, especially for us today. It is hard. There is such a huge push right now to destroy the church coming from the government and we're told to submit to the government. We, we hear so much today about tearing down the establishment. I mean, it's, it's bad. I never thought in my lifetime that I would see pastors put in handcuffs. I'm talking here, not overseas. I never thought I'd see a day where they're turning off electric to churches. I never thought I'd see a day where they're closing them down with court orders. I never thought I'd see that day in my lifetime. But it's here. And you know what else? It's closer than we think. I know there's people in this room right now in their own state, in Florida, in California. If you don't think it's everywhere, you haven't been watching and we hear the Apostle Paul, echoed by Peter here, he says to obey the governing authority. And 
That's something inside of us right now that goes, no way. Uh-uh, this can't be right. This can't be right. But one of the reasons we are told to follow the establishment and submit to the government authorities is because they are the law and have been put in place to keep order, right? Law and order, not a television show. Two things. One is to establish. That's law. The other is what follows. That's order. So, loved ones, here's why it's important to God. Because he is a God of order. He is a God of order. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, our God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. If there's no law, would we have order? Some of us don't agree with that. I can tell that right now. Christians, we should be some of the most obedient, respectful people on this world. We should be. How's that, how's that sitting with you right now? Honestly, how's it sitting with what we're saying right now? We should be. We should be. It's just the way we ought to be. They should... No matter what, we should be the most respectful people and loving people that anyone has ever met. Because the flip side of law and order is disorder and lawlessness. This is what they're echoing each other about. In fact, in fact, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. And anybody who's been here for our Revelation study on Thursday nights we're going through it, you're going to see this. See, in this world, the spirit of the Antichrist is lawlessness. That's what it's all about. So the question comes down to this, and this is a question. Who are you and I going to reflect in this world? Amen. Are you going to reflect the spirit of our Father? Or... You know, who's the lawgiver, giver of order? Or are you going to reflect the spirit of the Antichrist, who is nothing but disorder and chaos? Turn your TV on, what do you see? Disorder and chaos. Is that what we're called to be? Is that how we should act in this world? Then why do we do it? That's a reality, people, for us today. It's a reality. I... When I was writing this, you know, I've taught this many times, and I'm like, and we've taught it, we're like, yes, submit to the authority. Everybody's like, ooh, yes, we'll submit. You know, nothing was going on. Yeah. The church has just rolled over, right? Nothing's happening. But now, as I was writing this today, it, today it is a living reality that we as Christians need to wake up and do what God said and be the respectful, law-abiding people that the gospel calls us to be. I really wish our, um, our chief was here today because we need to respect the law. That's something right now that's going on that is disturbing. Disturbing. When I was raised and growing up, I was raised to respect the law, to be polite, to be peaceful, to be respectful. That's not what we're seeing today. 
we see this, um, I think, you know, why we have this rebellious attitude. We do. We all have this rebellious attitude, right? And I don't want you to think in this passage that what I'm saying is, is that we can't stand up for our Christian liberties. I am not saying that. We're going to talk about that. And I bring it up because that's a real issue today. Absolutely is. But I'm going to be, I want to be clear in what we're talking about here. Because the rebellion that is in us, we like to use that rebellion as a license to be rebellious about Christian liberties. We like to use that as a license. But it's not an excuse to be rebellious. Let me have, you know, it is our biblical right to stand up for the word of God. Absolutely, 100%. When the governments of man attempt to establish anything contradictory to the laws of Scripture, it is our biblical right to stand up for it. We've seen this talked about in the book of Acts. Remember the apostles, they were, uh, they were before the Sanhedrin. Yep. And what did the Sanhedrin say to them? By what authority? Amen. Amen. What did the apostles respond to them? He said this. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And I know this was a time when the Sanhedrin, to give you an idea of the Sanhedrin, um, who were at all purposes the Jewish Supreme Court. That's who they were. They, uh, well, you know, all of them were under Rome. The Jewish people really didn't look to the Roman authority. They looked to the Sanhedrin as the law. So the Sanhedrin say to the disciples, do not preach in his name anymore. And they laid it down as a law. And believe me, they could make any law they wanted back then. Doesn't sound any different than today. But they laid it down as a law. Hmm. And the disciples responded to that law respectfully. They didn't submit themselves to it. And they stood up for their Christian liberties and the right to stand on Scripture. But they did it respectfully. And he said, remember this, they were talking to religious men. They said to them, judge for yourselves whether it is right to obey God or man. We are going to obey God. In this case, basically what you're saying is, God trumps you. Alright? Listen, I I don't care what God has told you. You cannot go 75 mile an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. <laughs> I know some of us think that can happen. All right? And and when, you, when the police officer pulls you over and you're like, and you're 75 and a 35, and he's like, you know why I pulled you over? And you look at him and say, well, God told me to go that fast. Is that going to work? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. Okay? About our Christian liberties. We are talking about when, when we talk about our right of civil standing on our scriptures in the speci is a specific law that is contrary to scripture, that's what Paul's talking about. 
in your case, in my case, these mostly have to do with issues of sharing our faith. That's what we stand up for. Issues of sharing our faith. Possibly even more so today and even more as the last days wind down. There are many countries right now, and I know we all know this, that it is against the law to preach the gospel. It's against the law. And it's against the law to win someone for Christ. See, we can't even wrap our brain around that. It's against the law in some countries for me to show you Christ. And you can get into some very serious trouble over there for doing this. You can even lose your life for doing this. I know of people right now who are incarcerated or who have been very recently incarcerated for sharing Christ or who are now standing up facing it to stand on the gospel of Christ. It's a very real reality. So what are you going to do? This is the question I think Paul is kind of getting out to us. What are you going to do? In a situation, think about this, in a situation where it's against the law, what are you going to do? You ever asked yourself that? What are you going to do? I've, we talked about a movie we got, Don just watched, and I've watched it. Anybody ever see Torture for Christ? Okay, I recommend it, but I also recommend Be Prepared. Um, it's put on by the Voice of the Martyrs. I would like you to watch that when you get a chance and then look at yourself and say, what would I do? What would I do? It doesn't mean that we have to be all rebellious about it. That's not what it means. That's not what we're called to mean. It means that we need to be standing on the word respectfully. Respectfully. How many of you just heard, you know, you catch more flies with honey? You know, where do you think that came from? It came from out of scriptures. It's not that ain't a scripture, but they took what the, what the word is said to us, and that's what they took it out of. So have you thought about what you would do? Have you? If the United States today, tomorrow, you wake up and they handed down a law that said, it is against the law for you to preach the gospel or to bring anybody to Christ. What would you do? What's that? That's okay. That's what they do. But we 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 laugh and we think it is joking and it's kind of funny. But I want to tell you, it's a very real possibility. That sometime in our lifetime, we're going to see this. That's why I address it today. What are you going to do? If, I, if you wake up tomorrow and you are not allowed to take the word of God and bring it to somebody's life and change their life with Jesus Christ, what are you going to do? You preach Christ, you get Woo! high, and you go live with him. Woo! <laughs> Amen. And also, don't think for a moment that when the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter at that time, don't think for a moment that his, that you're like, oh, if Paul lived today, you know, I think he would say a lot of things a little different about that. Well, let me remind you who was in power when Paul wrote this letter. Anybody know? 
Woo! Nero. Does anybody know anything about Nero? Psycho. Who said psycho? That is, he was literally called that. He was so bad that even the Roman people said he was crazy. So, I think Paul has a pretty good understanding about some oppressive law and rulers that hate Christians. But yet, you know, even the Jewish historian Josephus, even who, this is a person who even defended Nero on some parts. He, he actually called him a tyrant, this Nero guy. The nation of Rome, when Paul wrote this letter, remember in the beginning of Rome, we talked about this, that he had written this letter to the Christians who were living right in the center of Rome, okay? And they're living under this guy named Nero, right in the capital. And he says to them, during the time of a psychotic tyrant, obey the government, obey Nero. significant when you actually stop and think about it. It is. So what's, what's our obligation to the government? Paul says to be obedient. Because we have to, right? Is that why? Because we have to? No. Because we're told to. In Scripture. Because we're told to. The authority of which we respond, to which we submit, to the authority that we place ourselves in, to the king that we serve. It says, be obedient to the government where you're at right now. Be law-abiding citizens. Be respectful. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenues, pay revenues. If you owe respect, pay respect. And by the way, we owe respect to the government officials and to those who enforce the law. That's what we're commanded to do. And we're all probably sitting there thinking, why in the world would Scripture tell me to be obedient to a government that hates me? Well, turn on your TV right now. What's getting more response right now? What is? Chaos. Destruction. Chaos, right? But what happens when someone in the middle of that chaos has a tragedy or has a need? Who's the first person that's, that should be responding to that? Christians, right? But how can you respond to it if we're not respectful, if we're not law-abiding, if we're not different than this world? We try so hard to be like this world. I can't wait to get to the end of this. See, you know, I'm gonna say this. We owe a debt of we owe a debt of respect. Paul says that actually. And and we should pay that. We should be respectful. We should be a very honoring people. That's what we should be. Um just go to verse 8. I'm not even I'm not even gonna harp on that. Go to verse 8. I want you to read this. 
and I'm going to give a side note on this too. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. I think we heard this lyric last night. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So the first thing Paul opens up with is that is what our obligation is to the government, right? And now he's like, well, what is your obligation to your fellow man? And it's our obligation to do what? Love. To love. And we say that. It rolls right off our tongue. I'm obligated to love my neighbor. But I can tell you right now, there's some neighbors that's hard to love. They are. And I know we all have them. Some of them might even be in your own household. It's an obligation. In fact, Paul calls that, it's a debt. It's a debt. A debt that we owe. In fact, it's the only debt that we have that remains outstanding. It's never paid. We keep paying it. The debt of love. We keep paying that. Earlier I said we should be respectful, law-abiding citizens. So Paul said, now I'm going to tell you, we should be the most loving people in this world. As Christians, we should be leading and beating the world in that category. We should be. He talked about loving our neighbor, which essentially means to love your neighbor with the same motivation that you love yourself. Ooh, I think that might be the issue. There you go. I think I just hit it right on the head, right? See, to love your neighbor, he's saying, love your neighbor with the same motivation that you love yourself. How's that going for you? I've seen some people, and I've met them here, and it's great, and they will, they can love like I have never seen in my life. This church is full of a lot of people who can love unconditionally. Why is that? Because we know where we stand, we know whose we are, and we know who loves us. That is, changes your life. You know, this is a really touchy spot with me because... I like when people tell me that our church is loving. You know what? I don't care if you're theologically sound. I don't care if you're a walking Bible dictionary. I don't care if you can give me the address to every verse in Scripture when I say, what's this, what's that? I don't care. What I care about is, is do you love your neighbor as yourself? Because that is the core of being in Christ. I hear people all the time ask me, how do I know I'm saved? Right there. Right there. Not perfectly. It'll never be perfectly, but it is progressively getting bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. That's what Paul's talking about. So the real question you ask yourselves, and I think you need to ask yourself this question. Is am I doing it? 
How am I doing in that category? How am I doing? I ask myself that question. You know, you'll notice in the same verse, in verse 8, there's probably something jumped out at you, and Paul said this, and I want this is a side note I want to talk about. It says, owe no one anything. Okay? And that statement, that phrase here, has led many people to conclude that the Bible forbids incurring any kind of debt. And I've heard him say that. And I will say this, and I've talked about it in my money, when we talk about money. Staying out of debt is a phenomenal idea. It's not only a phenomenal, it's a smart idea. It's, it's, remember, Christ said that we are to be what in business? We are to be shrewd in business. Okay, so it's a, it's, it's, it is highly recommended that we stay out of debt. But this phrase here is better understood in the original language. What the language is conveying is that pay what you promise to pay. That's basically what it means. When it says, have the Odo want a debt, it is conveying the idea of not allowing something to go unpaid. And this, that's what he's talking about. We see, you know, we see many other passages and many statements by Jesus that speak of debt as kind of a, as a regular part of their life. And I'm not talking, let me make this clear, I'm not talking consumer debt. Let's just throw that off the table. Consumer debt, bad, bad, bad. Let's keep that in your head, bad. Consumer debt's bad. If you have a credit card, I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent. If you have a credit card and, and you use it and you don't pay it off before the, before the billing statement comes out, take that thing home and cut it up right now. Cut it up. Consumer debt, bad. Remember that. Not the same thing here. The scriptures speak of, of, of debt as kind of a regular part of life. The, the word says, if you have given your word, be true to your word. It, uh, what, let your yes be yes and what? And your, and your no be no. So if you sign on the line that says, I'm going to pay this amount until it's paid off, what that saying is, pay it off. Because you gave your word. So that was my side note tangent. Verse 11. Because, besides this, I love this, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, means gone, and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh that gratifies his desires. Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. Did you catch all that? Did you catch in verse 11 that Paul begins with? Besides this, you know the time. He's not talking about the time of day, people. We know the time. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the time of God's redemptive plan. He's talking about the lateness of the hour. The, when it relates to Christ's return. The statement kind of begs the question. 
Because he says here, it's in, the, in the original language, it is a rather forceful speaking here. It's not like, oh, but you know. Paul's being very, very assertive in this writing here. And he says, besides this, you know the time. Then the question that I, I must reasonably ask is, do we? Do we know the time? I said earlier that we're living in the last days. And like I said, I, I really do believe the last, last days. And that's not my personal belief. Of you look at anything in prophecy right now. But do we all believe it? Do we all see it? Do we all really understand that we're living in the last days? Are you really aware of the lateness of the hour? Are you? Are you consciously aware of that? And the reason I ask is because if you're conscious of how the, the last days that we're living in, my question to you is how are you living your life? As a Christian in the last days, do you remember when Jesus was talking to religious leaders uh, in his day concerning this same issue? It was in Matthew. I, I should have that. This is what he said. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Got the next point? He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Now, obviously, the signs of the times he was talking about back there is a little different than what he's talking than what we're talking about here. But what he was talking about is it had to do with recognizing their own Messiah, okay, and that. And recognizing his coming and because God had given them all this prophetic information and about the coming of Jesus. And they're like, yo, who's he? All right. So that's what he was talking about here. But Jesus basically telling them what he's saying to him is you've missed it. You've missed it. God has given you everything about me and you missed it. But I wonder sometimes. I'm going to start wrapping up here. I promise, guys, I won't keep much longer. If Jesus spoke to the church today, you ready for this? If he spoke to us today, if we might actually receive the same rebuke. You think we would? If you think if Jesus spoke to us to the church today, he would give us the same rebuke? I believe... Well, I'll keep my personal beliefs myself, but we know how to predict things, right? We do. We, we can predict the financial strength of a company down to a T, right? We got that. We can do that. We can predict the weather. We have all kinds of fancy, cool stuff up there, satellites and balloons and all kinds of stuff that can predict the weather, although I will say that they don't do that very well. But... We can predict the outcome of this or the outcome of that. We can predict so many things. We can even show you how this is supposed to take place. 
but we don't seem to recognize, or, or better yet, I'll say this, we don't seem to take seriously the signs of the times. I don't think we do. The prophetic reality of living in the world that we live in today, we don't take it seriously. Look again with me real quick at verse 12. The night is far gone. In that language, it's, it's, he's talking about that dust to dawn, that where the darkness is fading and the light is coming up. It'd be like, how many of us love to sit there and watch a beautiful sunrise? And if you live anywhere where it's fields and water, and you've sat out there and watched the sun come up, this is that idea of where we're at. What he's saying is the night is gone. It's gone. It's ending. It's over. You are at, it's, it's going away. The light is now taking over. He says, the day is at hand. This is the dawning of the time of the Son of Man, the day of the Lord. But what I wanted you to see here is Paul gives a conclusion right here. He says, based on the understanding of that, what I mean is, based on the understanding that night has ended and the dawn has come, based on that, put on the armor of light. That's his conclusion. Put on the armor of light. Now, I will admittedly say, I don't talk that way. I don't walk around to somebody and go, you know, the night's ending, and you, know, you should put on the armor of light. I don't talk that way. But what we do say to people is something like, you know, all that garbage you got going on in your life, all that sin that you like to hold on to, and it's really, you know, you've opened your heart to it. You need to come and, and put on some Christ and be Christ. You know, something like that. You know, that's, that's, that's the idea Paul's saying here. What he's saying is we need to reject the lifestyle of those whose natural state is in this world. We need to reject it. We need to put it off. And I'm going to close talking about this because this, is a, this matter is really dear to my heart because we talk a lot about addictions and we talk a lot about stuff like that and how we get in these cycles and how we get in depression and, and despair and breaks my heart when, when we get down that path. Paul, in the closing of this letter, gives us, I think, I think the best pinpointed information of how, how to get out and not be in that. Loved ones, here we are living in a world right now that's not our home. It's not. And I know some people, maybe you don't know Christ yet, you don't understand what that means. But it just basically means we don't belong here. We don't belong. And you know what? If you're a Christian for any amount of time, you, you realize real quickly we don't belong. You do. But for now, we are living in it. But we're not to act like it. Paul says... In light of that reality, in fact, that Jesus is coming back. And by the way, there are more prophetic messages and prophecies about the second coming of Christ than there are about the first coming of Christ. So we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, no doubt whatsoever, Christ is coming back, he's coming for his church, he's coming to redeem Israel, and he's coming to redeem the land. We know this without a doubt. 
We know this. But there are still questions, right? These are realities that we know. So the question I'd like to ask you is this. How are you living? How are you living? I ask myself that question every single day. You guys know I'm very open about myself and I'm not, I am no great man. And I struggle with the same things you struggle with and I struggle with the same sins that you struggle with and I struggle with waking up sometimes even trusting sometimes. But I know that I know that I know that he is coming back and I ask myself, how am I living right now? Because I don't want Jesus to come back and catch me living like the world. How would you like that? I don't want that. So, Paul says to us, I hope you're not living like the people of the world who live in darkness. I hope, I hope you're not adopting that lifestyle. And all the things that make up their lifestyle. Think about it. How they treat money. How they treat relationships. I mean, come on. I hope you guys aren't living together outside of marriage. This is the kind of stuff Paul's telling us. That's what the world does. You, you have to honor marriage. I mean, marriage should be honored by all, it says in Hebrews. So loved ones, your lifestyle is to be different. It's to be better. It's to be other. It's to be other. I like that word. It's to be other. The reason I like that word is because now you're sitting there asking me other than what? Right? Other than the world. That's what we're, we are to live in a, in, in a way in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back to judge the darkness. So Paul says, don't be caught in it. Don't be found living in that darkness. And I love, Paul says, put on the armor of light. You know what that means? That means to embrace the character of Jesus Christ. Put on the armor of light. Embrace the character. Embrace his life that he wants you to live. And he wants to live through you to somebody else. That's what I'm talking about. And you know what else? And that means that we're going to stand out. But we're going to. We're going to stand out. Absolutely. And in fact, the rest of the world is going to be offended by you. And right now, it's pretty, it's pretty an offending world, right? I mean, they get offended by anything. But I'm telling you right now, the world's going to be offended by you. The world will be offended. They will accuse us and accuse you of being ignorant. They will accuse you of being bigoted. They will accuse you of having a small mind. And you will come... We will come to know, I think, in a very personal way what Paul said in 2 Timothy verse, chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what's it say? Oh, I thought it said we'll be rich. Oh, oh we'll be persecuted, I'm sorry. Not might, but will. But will. So here we are. 
And you know what? The flesh is strong. Flesh is strong. I'm not going to deny that. It is. So, how do we begin to say no to the flesh? And this is the key I was talking about with Paul. How, how do we, how do I begin to say no to the flesh? Oh, that's, that's, yes. But did you notice the last verse of chapter 13? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is one of the most fascinating statements that the Bible gives us on how to resolve the issues that the world calls addictions. And I, I, I do not deny addictions. Absolutely not. But this is, but it's a catch-all word that the world uses, right? Addictions. We, today we can be addicted to, they say you're addicted to everything. What, let me ask this, what is an addiction? Something what? An idol, something you feel you need. An out of control, okay. An addiction is, is, is a repeated behavior that has become a rut in your life. Think of it. It's a repeated behavior that has become a rut in your life. It's, in other words, something that you have repeated over and over again to where you have little control. Okay, that's addiction. I'll, I'll even say if you have any control anymore at all. Right? Because we have given into that behavior so long of over and over, I'm, I'm willing to bet that we don't even have control of it at all at this point. And Paul, so Paul gives us the answer. Paul says, and he spoke about numerous answers in Scripture all through Romans, but this one right here stays in my mind because I think this Scripture, this answer is the key. What does Paul say? Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. How many remember my ceramic sin ball sitting right here that exploded and went everywhere? I want you to keep that in. I wish I had another one for this. I should have went and bought one and had my big hammer here and smashed this thing. Make no provision for the flesh. In other words, take that thing out of your hands. In the term of your ability to freely engage in it. Okay, so I'm, we're going to, and I really am going to close on this. I want to say this is one of the toughest things in our world today. Because we like to keep things close to us that we're comfortable with, right? We love to keep them with us. People, people come to me, and they do, and they tell me all the time, they're like, I want to be free. I want to be free. We're talking about addictions. And they tell me I want to be free. And, you know, and I've walked down that road with people who are deep in addiction. Deep. And they, they are crying they want to be free. And then I realize over the years sometimes people can talk a good fight. You understand what I mean by that? But when it comes down to this question, how badly do you want to be free? That's the question I lay to them. They're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? How about, how about if we take away your freedom to do this? 
I ask him that. The thing, whatever it is you're doing or addicted to, how about we literally take away your freedom to do that? How many freedoms are you willing to give up to be free? You know, so as to not gratify the flesh. What are the freedoms that we use to gratify our flesh? We have lots of them. We all do. I do too. We all have them. Credit card. Money. 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 I mean, money's not bad. It's what you do with it. Money. All right. I, we can use some money to gratify some flesh things, right? And if you don't believe me, I said it last week, go to shop. I'm glad there's no more of it. But go to a Black Friday sale during Christmas and watch the old lady gratify her flesh. Because if you don't get out of the way, she's going to move you. But the idea behind this, what I'm saying is, is that's just an example. But what if we took away your ability to do whatever you wanted to do? What if, what if you have a bad habit of going out and cheating on your wife? Well, what if you give that ability away and you put a tracker on your phone so your wife knows where you're at every minute of the day? What if? What if you're, what if you're an alcoholic? And what if we take away the ability to hang out with people who are alcoholics? How much are you willing to give up? Paul says, make no provision. None. None. You got a problem with alcohol? What in the world are you doing hanging out with people that drink alcohol? You got a problem with pornography? What in the world are you doing hiding in the closet with a cell phone without anybody knowing what you're doing? People come to me all the time and they want to be free. They, they're looking for some magical verse in scripture that they can just read this verse and tomorrow they're free. And let me tell you this, I do not deny the power of Christ. I've seen it happen that way. I've seen it happen that way. I've seen people walk in addicted and walk out never touching it again in their life. But, but for most of the people in the world, before that can happen, before Christ the Spirit can get in there and make that change, You've got to free up the heart so he can get in there. And what I mean by that is, how much do you want to be free? Make no provision for the flesh. No, oh, to be free from your sin. Boy, it's hard. Boy, it's hard. But it's only hard because we make it hard. Christ is right there, always reaching for us. But it's us that always fight back against it. So loved ones, I just want to say this about chapter 13. He talks about submitting to our government and he closed with how do we live in this world? How do we portray ourselves in this world? And you're like, well, what are those got to do with each other? Everything. Everything. Because he tells us to submit to this world, to this government. And he tells us because we need to be respectful, we need to be loving. We need to be different than this world. And being different in this world means understanding and holding on and believing with everything we own that tomorrow, Christ could be here tomorrow. People, how are you living your lives? Does that neighbor beside you know you love Christ? And does he know that? And because of that, he wants to know it too? We speak lots of words, people, but live our lives like we're called to live. And that's all that's the whole Paul's telling us. Submit to the authority because that is the respectful, loving, Christian thing to do. But stand for our Christian rights and liberties because we're commanded to do that. Loved ones, I just hope that as we finish up Romans, the last couple chapters, 
and a blessing to go through Romans. And uh, we can learn to walk in freedom. Just make no provision for the flesh. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Father, I just come humbly before you throne. Lord, Father, I know as we went through chapter 13 today, and this is a tough topic and a tough issue, especially in our times today, that even us as Christians sometimes, we've been pricked in the heart by what we've seen or what we've had other people say. But Lord, we know that you are above all things. You are the highest authority there is, Lord. There is no one above you. You direct the ways of those who are in charge in this world, Lord. And whether you guide them like a river, whether it's for good, or, you, or they use what you've given them for bad, Lord, you are in control still. And Lord, I ask that that, that that thought rest upon us as we go out in this world and we see the anger and the hurt and the rebellion and the, and the disrespect that goes on in the world that we do what Scripture calls us to be and be different. I ask that we, we, we love like we're called to be loved, Lord, because in a world like this, that is the only thing that will overcome. And Lord, I ask that you strengthen all of us here today in our hearts. And I ask that if as we go out in this world, Lord, that you shine through us and that you put someone in our path that, that needs Jesus, Lord, and that we have the strength to show it and open our mouths and bring praise to someone. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.